The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Um, today's scripture is from Acts chapter 28, um, 11 through 31. So like Dale said earlier, we're finally rounding out. Um, the book of Acts, and it's going to be displayed behind me on the screen, but you can also find it in the Bibles underneath the chairs on page 937. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puccioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, excuse me, when we, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to conce- convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced... By what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The word of God. 
So again, this is the last week of our series on the book of Acts called Jesus Continued In. If you've been a part of it or if you joined in today or some other part, we've been here for nine months. Nine months we've been in the book of Acts, and I've really enjoyed it. So together, we've been in the book of Luke and Acts together about 18 months. And the reason that we did them back to back, what we usually do as a church is we work through books of the Bible, and we go from New Testament to Old Testament, back and forth, that we did this as two parts, Luke and Acts, because the Gospel of Luke is written by... A guy who was a doctor, his name was Luke, and he wrote that as the first part of a two-part series. The second part was the book of Acts. So the book of Luke, or the gospel of Luke, is the story, the good news of who Jesus is and what he did. And the book of Acts, it tells us the beginning, is the story of what he continued to do in his church, in the early part of his church. And so we've been working through that, and it's been a lot of fun. And what the reason that we've been doing this is because, not just because we think it's a good idea, but because we think it's really important as a church in this season of life. So we've been a, a church plant. We're getting ready to celebrate our fifth anniversary, our fifth birthday next month, which is pretty crazy and amazing. And uh, guys, it's been a fun, it's been a fun journey. Like just a few years ago on a Sunday morning, this is a small group in here. It, it literally, there were the first and second summers that we were here. There were, there were Sundays, there was 12 of us in this room. And so we've been moving from the point of an early church plant to now growing into kind of an adolescent church. And the reason we've been looking through the book of the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts is to see what is our legacy as a church. What is it? So as we're looking to see what is our, what is the story? What is our DNA? Where do we come from so we can see what we're supposed to be? A, a legacy is something that's handed down to you by your predecessor. Uh, our legacy is made up of a whole mix of things, right? So some of you guys come from different kinds of families that I come from, and you actually have or will have a legacy passed down to you from your parents in terms of, like, monetary riches. Like, you, like you, they, they're passing down some sort of possessions to you. Uh, but all of us, whether we have actual possessions passed down to us or not, we have a legacy that comes down from our parents and the people before that. It's our, it's our DNA and our makeup, right? So the reason I have a large nose and a loud, a loud mouth is partially, if you've met the rest of my family, it is, it's just built into the DNA. It's a, it's a part of who we are. That's a legacy that's passed down. If you've been to one of my family gatherings and you've heard the conversation, it's passed down as part of my legacy. The other things that we have that are part of who we are, the, the bad breath that we have in the morning or the whatever that's all makes up the color of your hair is curly or not, or how fast it's disappearing, Jonathan, like that, that is passed down from Somebody from to you, that's part of your legacy. It's your DNA. It's also sort of our, our personal, uh, our, our like character traits that get passed down. It's not necessarily, not necessarily a part of our DNA, but it's because our grandparents and our parents and our parents. So my, so my granddad, who I lived next door to, he was known as a storyteller. And when we say a storyteller, it means that he loved to tell stories. And we're not really sure how many of them were true or not true. And, and, and my mom says that that has been passed down to me, that, that she, she swears, and I'm just going to try to give her equal time this morning, is she says that some of the stories I share with you guys are not the way, and I'm going to put it like this, not the way that she remembers them. I, I do not purposely tell any stories to you guys that are, that are falsehoods, but they are the way that I remember them and the way that, that, that they sit, sit and stand in my mind. I get that from my granddad as part of my legacy as a storyteller, somebody who likes to tell things and 
Maybe the people around them don't remember it the same way. That's part of my legacy that's get passed down. We all have a legacy, but what is our legacy as Doxa Church and as the church? What is our legacy? What has been passed down to us that tells us who we are and the way that we should be? And as we've journeyed through the book of Acts and we've seen our predecessors, our spiritual ancestors at the beginning of the church, we've seen some amazing things. If you remember, the book of Acts starts 28 chapters ago with a group of, a motley group of peasants who are hiding in an upper room because they're known as followers of Jesus. And they're afraid what will happen if they're found out. And not only are they hiding in this room because they're known as followers of Jesus, is they're, they're not particularly good at being followers of Jesus. When the chips were down, whenever he was being accused wrongly and he was being led to trial, they one by one disappear and run away. One of his closest followers, one of his closest, not just disciples, one of his closest friends, Peter himself, whenever a servant girl asked him, hey, I think you are one of those disciples, right? His, his response is, I don't even know who that is. He repeats that three times. He denies him in the, when the chips are down in his hour of need. It starts with a motley group of peasant, unlearned, unfaithful followers of Jesus hiding in the upper room. And then on the day of Pentecost, the whole table is changed. And this motley group of peasant, unlearned, unfaithful disciples all of a sudden have a power and a boldness that begins to spread through Jerusalem as people come to faith in Jesus as the risen Lord. And it spreads throughout all of Jerusalem and Judea. We see it spread throughout the whole region. We see it jump from the Jews to Gentiles. We see Paul who was a, a murdering Christians because he believed they were false. So he is arrested by Jesus. He comes to faith. He begins to go out on missionary journeys and plants churches. This man who once killed people who believed in Christ, he turns around and is sacrificing and giving his life to plant churches all across the Mediterranean. We see it spread throughout. And today, to our day, now billions of people all across the world adhere to the name Christian and say, profess, they worship Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth, who they profess to be, have been killed and have risen again on the third day, the son of God now seated at the right hand of the father. And if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, that is your legacy. And that's our legacy as a church. We're just a small group of people who meet in a smelly gym at a school on the weekend. And we have to put up pipes and drape and run the wires and do the deal. And as soon as it's done, we're tearing down everything. It's a, it's a, we're, we're sort of a motley crew if you look around a little bit. But that's not our legacy. Our legacy isn't me being the preacher or Dale and Jonathan, as great as they are being the elders. It's not your community group as good or bad as it is or the music as good or bad as you think it may be. That's not our legacy as a church. Our legacy as a church is the risen Christ 
who passed on the gospel, the good news of who he was and what he did on our behalf and poured out his Holy Spirit upon a motley crew of people hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem and turned the world upside down. That is our legacy as a church. That's why it's so important for us to have been studying and looking at Acts to remind ourselves that no matter what we get caught up in thinking church is about, and no matter what we get caught up in thinking my life is about, that that is what it's about. This is what it's about. This is who we are. It's our legacy. It's our spiritual ancestry, but it's more than just ancestry because it's something that has concretely been handed down from generation to generation to generation of believers. The good news of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done on our behalf and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to do what he has called us to do and to live the lives that he has called us to live. As a church. Acts has been about seeing the story. That story. Has been passed down to us. Like a great inheritance that's been passed down. From generation to generation. Like a baton that's handed off in a race. From one runner to the next runner. That's our story. It's the continuation of that story. And Acts has been about seeing our place in that bigger story and and then finding our place in that story. Not just seeing that we're a part of that story, but finding our particular place personally as a church in that story. So let's see how it all ends here in Acts, the story that's been, that's been playing out. The Jesus Christ, the Lord is risen. He Uh, pours out his gospel upon the disciples. Gentiles come to the faith. It starts to spread all over the world. Paul then ends up planting churches. And then after he plants churches for three journeys, then he feels like he has to, he's called by God to go to Jerusalem. He's told, and he's also told by God that you're going to go to Rome. And that's how we find ourselves here in chapter 28. And here's three things, but by God's grace, you're going to see as we close out the book of Acts, three things. Number one, we are a part of the same story that we see in Acts. We have our own chapter to live out in that story. And thirdly, someone else is the hero. Number one, we are a part of the same story. We have our own chapter to live out. And thirdly, someone else is the hero. First of all, we are a part of the same story. So Paul is told by God, you have to go to Jerusalem and then I'm going to take you to Rome. And he knows he's going to end up in chains and he's going to suffer in Jerusalem, but he's not told by God how he's going to get to Rome, which is an interesting thing. So we don't know what Paul pictured or what he thought was going to happen, but he knows that he has to go to Rome. And what happens is he ends up going to Jerusalem and he's arrested there and he's falsely accused by the Jews as trying to uh, mess up their religion and mess up the peace that's in Jerusalem. And so he ends up being arrested and put into custody by the 
Roman authorities there in uh, Judea, and then they don't know what to do with him, and so they're trying to figure it out, and along the way, Paul has to pull the trump card that is in his back pocket as a Roman citizen and say, I appeal to Caesar. So because he appeals to Caesar, he has to go to Rome to then uh, stand before Caesar. And So he starts this journey, and we find out that his whole journey to even get to Rome takes somewhere four to six years from the moment he's in Jerusalem to the moment he arrives in Rome, and it's a security circuitous, like difficult, journey full of suffering. He encounters five trials. He gets shipwrecked. They have to summer and winter in Malta, where, by the way, he was bitten by a snake. And I mean, it's it's a terrible journey. This whole time, remember, he's in chains, not through the Till the end of Acts, he is in chains. He will never, as far as we know, except maybe even swimming to the shore at Malta, as far as we know, he will never be freed from being chained to a guard. He arrives on mainland Italy, and he goes up what's called the Appian Way, which is the longest or the widest, straightest, most well-constructed Roman road that heads right up to Rome. Along the way, some of the believers who are in Rome, who heard he was coming, they come out and greet him. And that kind of encourages Paul. And he gets to Rome and he's turned over by the centurion to the leader, we think, of the Praetorian Guard, which is the, the guard who was over the like Caesar's household, who oversaw the whole like uh, emperor's palace. And they decide that Paul's not a threat. And so they say, you can live under house arrest. And so we see that he lives for two years. It says at his own expense in house arrest. And what that would look like is they didn't have ankle, like the ankle bracelets that would beep and go off if you try to leave your house under house arrest. His house arrest consists of actually being chained to another guard. And that guard would have been changed every four hours in order to keep that guard fresh so that Paul can't run away. So Paul, every day of these two years in Rome, he would be chained to a guard And every time he eats and drinks and sleeps and has to relieve himself, everything that he does is going to happen chained to a guard. And now let's look at the last two verses of Acts chapter 28 and see how the book ends. He, that's Paul, verse 30 of Acts chapter 28, he lived there, that is, under house arrest in Rome, two whole years... (laughs) insult to injury, at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, the way the book of Acts ends has been of interest to readers and students and theologians for a long time, and it's probably the same reason if you read it and think about it, it should be of interest to us. Now, my, my wife likes a movie to end and have tied up all the loose ends in the movie. She doesn't like to be open-ended at all. Like, even when it's obvious, like, like the two people are going to get married, if they don't show the marriage... And they don't show the marriage like, like, like she's like, I want to see like, because that's the payoff, right? Like you feel like I've been invested in this relationship through this whole movie. And now I want to see it in. I want to see the payoff in the book of Acts does not end with the loose ends all tied up neatly. It ends really weirdly that Paul is living in Rome under house arrest. He's welcoming people as they come. He's proclaiming the gospel with boldness and without hindrance. And then it just ends. It doesn't tell us what what happens after that. 
It doesn't tell us the rest of Paul's life or did he actually see Caesar? What happened after this? Did he die in prison? Did he get out? Was he absolved? Like what happens next? It doesn't tell us. And so that has led people to ask the question, all right, why? Why does it leave it open-ended like this? And so some people conjectured that Luke, the gospel of Luke is part one. And that the gospel, uh, the book of Acts is part two, that Luke intended for there to be a part three, where he would tell us about the rest of Paul's life and the early church history. But we don't have any record. He doesn't say anything about it. We don't have any record of that. We, but that could be one possibility, that he was going to write a, a further story to tell us what else happened after that. Uh, some people think that he was writing to people who knew what happened to Paul after this point. And so that's why he stops it here. They know what happened to Paul after that. And, and uh, church history or church uh, tradition or legend uh, tells us what we think happened to Paul. Said, so the story goes that Paul is arrested. He's in two years in Rome, that he finally does appear before Caesar, that his probably his accusers from Judea don't show up to present their case. And Paul is released and freed and that he goes free for maybe another two years and this the emperor at this time is nero by the way if you're familiar with roman history at all like nero is is crazy he is vicious he is not responsible as an emperor like he's he's not a good guy and not a good emperor he's not the guy that you would want to appear before but paul is released in front of him he goes free for two years maybe plants a couple more churches ends up back in rome is arrested and beheaded about the same time that Peter was under the rule of, of Nero. That's what we think happened, but it doesn't tell us any of that. It leaves it totally open-ended. So we don't know why Paul, uh, Luke left the story of Paul and the story of the early church open-ended here, but we know that whatever it was that Luke intended, if he was going to write another part or, uh, what, or if he knew that they knew what was going on, that whatever was going on, that we do know that the Holy Spirit who directed Luke to write the book of Acts had a purpose. And I think the clue to show us why he did is shown in the very beginning of the book. If you have your Bible, look at Acts chapter 1. I'm going to run through the first 11 verses here. We're going to key on one key point, but we're going to run through the whole 11 verses here. In the first book, that's the book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, that's the guy he's writing to. I've dealt with all that Jesus, what, began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. We're talking about the historicity of the, of the resurrection appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought he was going to actually take over the nation of Israel and throw out the Romans. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but, and this is a key uh, 
sentence in this whole uh, book, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as he said these things, as they were looking, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, beheld two men stood by them in white robes. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this is the key part of this idea is that number one, Luke starts off the, the, God, the book of Luke, the book of Acts, I'm sorry, saying, I have already told you in the book of, the book of Luke, all that Jesus began to do and to teach up to the point that he ascended and the implication is Jesus continued to do and to teach. And he continued to do so through his church that was left. And how did that happen? Because he poured out the Holy Spirit upon them and gave them the power to be his witnesses. The, the, way, the reason Acts ends the way that it does, open-ended, is that Luke is trying to get across the point to us that the story is continuing. The story of Jesus and who he was and what he did didn't end whenever he ascended into heaven because he poured out his spirit upon his church to carry the gospel, the story, the good news of who he was and what he did to the ends of the earth. In fact, he told them in the, at the Great Commission, he said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And he's saying through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I will be with you to do all that I've commanded you to do. So Jesus continued to do and to teach through the book of Acts, through the believers. And he has continued to do and to teach in Acts chapter 29, in Acts chapter 30, in Acts chapter 31, in Acts chapter 2018, or whatever Acts chapter that we are living in today, he continues to do and to teach through the presence and power of his Holy Spirit in and among his people. That's incredibly important. The story didn't end when Jesus ascended, and the story of the church didn't end when Paul was sitting in prison in Rome. The story of Jesus and his church continues to this day, and it continues in and through us. The reason I believe that Acts ends open-endedly and doesn't tie up and say, this is, how it all, this is how it all stops and now you can know this story and continue about your life is because it's leaving it open for us to know and to see that the story goes on. The story goes on. It's the story of God glorifying himself by redeeming a fallen and a sinful people. That's the story. Now, that's the story of history. It's not just the story of the Gospel of Luke. and It's not just the story of the book of Acts. The story of God glorifying himself or showing who he is, his nature and character, by redeeming a fallen and a sinful people is the story of history. That's the story. And our job is to find our place in that story. And if you're a believer, that's your legacy. That is what has been handed down to you. 
And just like anything that's been handed down to us, if we ignore it, it's not going to go well for us. So, uh, whenever I was younger, uh, I used to like to think of myself, like I, I enjoyed sports. Uh, but I used to like to think of myself as athletic. Because that was the story in my own mind. But the problem was that the more I played sports and the more I was around people, Burton can attest to this fact years ago, that the more I did it, the more it was apparent I was not athletic. And no amount of what I was thinking in my head that I could do or would do or the the way I saw myself in the mirror when I looked at myself in the mirror, no matter what it looked like to me in my own head or my own mind, the truth was I was not athletic and I could not make myself be so. I could not jump. I could run fast, but only kind of in one direction. And I couldn't really do anything once I got to where I needed to be. The, the, the ball would be thrown to me and they, I would like drop it. Or I would just, it, it, was, it, was, it was very embarrassing. And now looking back, I'm just picturing th- pictures in my head that I won't share with you. But it's, it's kind of embarrassing. No matter what I thought, I was not. We can each of our think of ourselves as being rich, like, man, I've been past. Like, you can think of yourself as wealthy and like think that you are, are going to have or have great wealth passed down to you by a, you know, a mysterious uncle that's going to die somewhere. And so you live life, like, live life, like one day you're going to get a call and a letter that this uncle that you didn't know that had millions of dollars has now left it to you and your credit card debt and everything is all going to be okay and everything's going to be fine. And even though you've been living beyond your means, everything's going to be hunky-dory after that. But that's not going to happen. If you forget what your actual legacy is and who you are and what has been passed down to you and you live like it's, that's not true, you're going to suffer. And if we live life personally and as a church, like the story of history and the story of our life is about something other than God glorifying himself through redeeming a fallen people, then we're going to suffer loss. We can each be like tricked into thinking that my life is about, the story of my life is about like me like building a great vast amount of wealth or me building a reputation with my friends and family. Uh, We can think that life is about uh, having kids that are perfect and great. We can think about our life is about being fashionable or being good looking or being athletic, like whatever it is that we want to buy into what you're, and we all have a personal narrative that we, we may not share it with people around us. It's our personal narrative of what we think my life is about if, it's, if that doesn't line up with the story of God glorifying himself through redeeming a fallen people, and that that's what history is about, and that's what my life is supposed to be about, then we're going to suffer loss, and we're going to look like a fool at the end of it. When I thought that I was athletic and I was not, I ended up looking like a fool at the end of each play. And if we think that life is about me, being cool or popular or amassing wealth or getting a great education or whatever the case may be that we think it is, at the end of the day, it's going to be shown to not be true and we're going to look foolish. This is our legacy as believers. And it's continued the, by the power of the gospel and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's our legacy 
And that's our story. And so second point, we have to find our own chapter to live out in that story. Look at the story of Paul. When Paul was told that he had to go to Rome and he had to appear before Caesar, he wasn't told or promised how that would happen or when that would happen. And I just picture, we don't know how this played out for Paul, but I picture what that would have looked like in Paul's mind when God said, hey, you've got to go to Rome. So Rome would be like if you take New York and Washington, D.C. and put it together in one city, that is Rome. It is the most powerful uh, city in the world is the greatest concentration of wealth and power that was on the planet at that time and ever existed on the planet in one city. It was a powerful, wealthy place. And so for Paul to be told, you're going to go to Rome is like, that's the big time. And he gets called up to, he's going to get called up to the big leagues and he's going to go, not only do that, but he's going to appear before Caesar, who's the emperor, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. I just imagine like, what would Paul have pictured? Like, I'm going to go to Rome and then we're going to pack out the Colosseum and all the people are going to be there. They're going to advertise it like Paul is coming to preach the gospel and Romans from all throughout the city and all through the region are going to all pour into Rome and fill up the Colosseum. And I'm going to have, I'm going to meet there night after night and proclaim the gospel. And they're just going to be like, we're going to have a choir and they're going to sing just as I am. They're all going to be coming down, streaming down. Like thousands are going to be saved. It's going to be carried on live Roman TV. Like this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be in Rome. Rome. And not only that, God told me I'm going to appear before Caesar. Like, is Caesar going to come to one of these meetings or is he going to call me in as he's here? It's like all that's going on in Rome is I'm proclaiming the gospel because think about it. He went to other cities, proclaimed the gospel, gathered large crowds, built churches that went and plant churches. Maybe he's thinking like, this is the way it's going to play out in Rome. And he's thinking like, is Caesar going to hear, going to come and sit in a box and listen to me preach? Or, or is he going to like invite me by special request to come to the palace? And I'm going to preach the gospel to him and his household personally. And Caesar's going to weep and, procl- and pro- profess faith in Jesus Christ and bow there. And like Rome is going to become a Christian city and the empire is going to become a Christian empire because God's sending me to Rome. Maybe he pictured that. But it didn't happen that way. He appeared in Rome in chains. And nobody but a few Christians who heard he was coming met him at the gate. And he shows up and he has to live under house arrest. And he has to live under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And is chained to a Roman guard 24-7 at his own expense. It didn't happen probably the way Paul expected. It happened in chains. And it took much longer than he probably expected it to take. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. Verse 31. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness without hindrance two whole years he lived under house arrest at his own expense it probably didn't look like he expected it to look and maybe your life doesn't look like you expected to look 
Maybe your marriage doesn't look like you expected it to look. Or maybe you expected to be married and it doesn't look like you expected it to look. Maybe parenthood doesn't look like you expected it to look. Or maybe you wish you had kids and you expected to have kids at this point or more kids or less kids. It doesn't look the way you expected it to look. Maybe your education or your career or your friendships or your health doesn't look like you expected it to look at this point in time. But maybe, almost certainly, God has placed you exactly where you are, exactly the way that you find yourself placed, all part of a plan that is bigger and wiser and maybe more confusing than we ever anticipated. Paul writes Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians from prison in Rome. And the interesting thing is if you read Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians is in some ways they're his most majestic letters. They trumpet the glory and the prestige and the power of Jesus Christ in ways that the other letters don't. Because Paul is in prison, but he is certain that God has placed him there to bloom in adversity. And whatever situation that you find yourself in, and I find myself in, where life doesn't look the way I expected it to look, things aren't going the way I expected them to go, my relationships, my health don't look the way I hoped or thought it would look, God has called us to bloom in the adversity that we find ourselves in. And that's what we see Paul do. He lives there for two whole years at his own expense. But what does he do? He's not like binging on Netflix and ice cream because he's disappointed that life's not looking like he thought it was going to look like it. Maybe he went through a season where he did that, not the Netflix part or the ice cream part, but whatever the first century version of Netflix and ice cream would be. Maybe he felt sorry for himself for a while. We don't know, but we know what he did do is that he welcomed all who came to him. He couldn't go to them, so he started a come-to-me ministry. And the story goes that people were always streaming into Paul's house to hear him share the gospel with them. He encouraged and helped to lead the church in Rome from the chains of his cell that he was having to pay for proclaiming while he was in chains the kingdom of God and teaching them about Jesus Christ with boldness in the midst of it. The flower that blooms on the mountainside is all the more beautiful because it thrives in the midst of the cold and harsh winds on the side of the mountain. It looks more beautiful there than it does in a well-kept palatial garden. Because it blooms in the middle of adversity. And each of us have a place in the larger mission. And in our own 
brokenness and in our own dissatisfaction and in our own uh, frustration with things not working out the way that we thought it would, it provides an opportunity for the smell and the savor of Christ to flow in and through us in the middle of adversity that would be seen more clearly. Paul's faithfulness to Christ was a greater example for the church in Rome and outside Rome because he was chained to a guard 24-7. Because he was not preaching to large crowds and appearing before Caesar as a man who was respected and valued. We find the flavor and the smell of Christ most often found seeping through the cracks and pouring through the broken places in our lives. And those broken places are the broken and cracked dreams and the broken and cracked hopes and the broken and cracked comfort and broken and cracked security that we once placed trust in. But it's there in the middle of that disappointment, in the middle of that cracking, it's there that we find that Jesus Christ, the one who we read about in the beginning of Acts, is the indeed the risen Lord. And he is not bound by death and destruction and disappointment. It is there that the risen Christ shows us resurrection power in the middle of our disappointment, in the middle of our brokenness. In fact, it's there that he's chosen to showcase his beauty and his splendor and his sufficiency and his mercy and his grace. Jesus is truly all satisfying. If there's nothing else that you hear from me this morning, hear that. Jesus is truly all satisfying. And he shows us that great satisfaction in the middle of our disappointment and our frustrations. And he shows his satis- this, how satisfying he is through us to the world around us as they see us become satisfied with him, no matter what the circumstances are like. Paul welcomed all those who came and he proclaimed with boldness the good news of Jesus. He didn't wait until circumstances were right to do what God had called him to do. He did what God had called him to do when things were frustrated, frustrating and he didn't think, it didn't look like the, the right place God made it the right place. And Paul used his unique circumstances and his giftings to join God and his mission there. And God used him there. We are a part of the same story that Paul was and the other believers. We have our own chapter to live out. And lastly, someone else is the hero. One of the things that stands out as the book of Acts ends here, is that Luke ends the book of Acts with a note of of triumph in it. Even though Paul is stuck in this house arrest for two years, he's chained to a guard at his own expense. Look at the ending of it. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, And without hindrance. 
without, with all boldness and without hindrance, which is interesting, isn't it? Because he was physically, literally hindered because he was under house arrest in chains. And yet it says that the gospel was being proclaimed without hindrance. Why is that? That's because it's a risen Jesus that is empowering Paul. It's the risen Jesus that's empowering the spread of the gospel throughout the book of Acts. And it's the risen Jesus empowering the gospel today. And if you are a believer this morning, hear this. If you are a believer this morning, it's the risen Jesus Christ who is living in you and among us and is within you empowering you to live the life that he's called you to live. Jesus is the star of the book of Acts. He's the only consistent character that we see in here. Every other character somehow trips up or fails or doesn't seem to cross the finish line the way that we expect them to. But continually, Jesus is ministering with them, in them, and through them. And he's the star of the book of Acts. And he's the star of history. Hear these words that Paul penned. Picture him in chains. Connected to some guard. And he's riding to the church at Ephesus. He doesn't know it, but his life is, well, he knows his life is coming to, closer to an end, but he doesn't know how it's going to play out. He's going to be free. Man, I'm free to go. He's going to be rearrested and beheaded. But he writes this to the Ephesians with chains on his hand. I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his, that's Jesus, of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, God, put all things under his Feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him to be as head, as head over all things to the church. Paul is sitting in a house arrest under the authority of Caesar, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, chained to a guard, and he is absolutely not free. And yet he is writing to the church at Ephesus and telling them, there is a greater king than the emperor who has me chained here today. And he is risen and he is powerful and he will make all things new again. And that is why we worship him with great abandon. And we are willing to give our, even our lives for him because we know that to have him and to have nothing else is to have everything. But to have everything and not to have him is to have nothing. He writes this to the church at Colossus. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
or the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the star of Acts. It's his story. And he's the star of history. That's his story. And he's the prize of your life. And we should be determined individually and collectively as a church to make him the star of our lives and to find our place in that story. And in the joy we celebrate, but in the broken places and the disappointments and the frustrations, when we feel like we're being in chains, to let him show himself as the all-satisfying one in us and through us. So the people around us would see he's the star and he's the prize. The story of the book of Acts is Jesus continued and that's our story as well. Let's join him in that story. Let's devote ourselves as a church and personally to that. And say, God, wherever you send me, whatever you do with my life, let that, let that savor, let that smell, let that story of your greatness and your power and your preeminence be declared in me and through me by my mouth and by my life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.